Hello and welcome to MikeyPod Podcast, episode 341 for March 28th, 2022. Today's guest is Emily Levine. She's the principal harpist for the Dallas Symphony Orchestra, as well as the founder of Groundworks, a new commissioning project celebrating the musical creativity of composers in their own hometowns. It's super cool. And we had a great conversation. I am your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for 16 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at Michael Heron or email MikeyPod at gmail.com. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to this conversation. Um, I don't have a ton of updates for you about my personal work, just doing things behind the scenes. I got a bunch of podcast episodes, interviews recorded, some new coming up this week. Um, feeling the the motivation going for this podcast again, which uh, it's been a little bit of a circle. Oh, maybe I'll talk to that about that a little more at the end of the show. Um, but yeah, let's just go right into the interview. But first, I want to thank my subscribers on Patreon, especially right now, for powering this podcast and all my other work. These are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month and get special perks like tons of free downloads of my music and zines, bonus podcasts. There are over 70 of them that you'll have immediate access to when you subscribe, including this week's bonus episode, which features an extended conversation with today's guest, Emily Levine. It was actually a really cool conversation there, too. Uh, you're going to love all of this. I should mention this interview was recorded before a, a performance that Emily just did as a part of her um, organization. Uh, and we talked about it as if it was in the future. I'm posting this interview later than I expected. So just forgive that. Uh, definitely check out um, future performances. And uh, all the links are in the show notes for all this stuff. So, yeah, we uh, have a piece of music to listen to from Emily. I just practiced the pronunciation of this, and <laughs> I'm going to do my best to pronounce the name of this. It's La Rosignol. I don't think I did a very good job at all, but you're going to love hearing this piece of music. It's written by Franz Liszt and performed by Emily Levine. Thank you. 
Joining me now on the podcast is Emily Levine, who is the uh, principal harpist for the Dallas Symphony Orchestra and founded Groundworks, which is a commissioning project celebrating the musical creativity of composers in their hometowns. Um, I restarted our interview, so it's not going to sound as clever for me to say, oh, I'm from Texas, too. But yeah, <laughs> we have that in common. Well, we have Texas in common. You moved to Texas from New York City, and I moved to New York City from Texas. Yes, um, indeed. Yeah, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> um, so there's so much that I love about this project. Um, as a composer and a performer myself, it's really interesting to see this sort of come about. The Groundworks project is what I'm talking about specifically. How did that come about? Like, how What inspired you to start this organization? The idea first came to me... Um, when I would go back to my home state of Colorado to do concerts and without fail, there would always be these people in the audience who either knew me from when I was a child or knew my parents or knew friend, family friends. Um, and they would come up to me afterward and say how nice it was to see me again. So nice to sort of follow where my career had been going uh, and to see me grow up. And so I always had all the, the happy feels whenever I'd play back in Denver because um, they were my people and it's my state. Um, and I got to thinking about how transient musicians are, how like we never end up in the same city that we are from most of the time. Um, it's just not the nature of our work. And how nice it is to be able to go back to those early communities who like they see you when you're a small performer. And then a lot of times they read about you later, but they never see you again. Um, so that's where the idea of focusing on the hometown element came about. Um, and then new music, the harp is an amazing instrument and it's my favorite, um, but it is a relatively modern instrument. You know, we didn't get the full, the full size double action pedal harp until the beginning of the 1900s. Um, and so our repertoire is just not quite as full as like the piano or the violin. So I think um, commissioning new music and working with living composers is an essential part of playing the harp. Um, we really have to champion good repertoire to add to what we can play. Um, and so those two things sort of fused together. Um, and I thought how cool it would be to commission harp-centric works, but then have them premiere back in the composer's hometown. Um, and then from that, you know, creating a whole concert inspired by the composer's music and musical influences and tastes so that it's really a celebration of who he or she is as a, as a whole musician and then also celebrating the community that was first there at the beginning. It's really cool to hear from a composer perspective too. There's also that, that idea of being a composer and like, okay, I wrote this stuff. Someone perform it now. Like, so right. it's really great from that perspective as well. Well, especially for classical musicians and for new music, it's such a small community who loves it and supports it. Um, and I'm, I don't know if you've had this experience too, but like going to college and even as an adult, the people who come to my concerts are not normally fellow musicians. They're people who know me for who I am, um, not for what I play. And so I think being able to bring this kind of niche um, musical medium to just like a community of people. I think it's an important part of being a musician, but this just makes it all the more accessible. Yeah. 
You know, there's a little thing I feel about going back to Texas sometimes. And I wonder if you feel this way too. I often like make up things to feel guilty about, and this might be one of them. (laughs) But uh, often I like have this sort of guilt about leaving Texas. You know, like I'm doing my own thing here and I've been able to kind of do more things in New York than I was able to do in Texas uh, for whatever reason. Um, But it's I don't know. Is that is that something that happens for you? Or I wonder if it happens for some of these composers to have this feeling of like uh, somehow wanting to embrace where they came from and also lift it up in this space of as I'm saying it out loud, I think I do make this up. But now, like, you have thoughts on that? I do think the moving to New York thing is definitely part of that guilt, you know, because it's like, oh, you moved to New York. I see. Uh Good enough for you. (laughs) Um, But no, I think. It's hard because, you know, normally if you grow up in a city or a state, if you like it, you can stay there. Um, but for us, if you want to study with a particular teacher, it's going to take you to really who knows where. Um, and then you're really at the mercy of, you know, what orchestra auditions you happen to win or where your chamber music performances are or where you can set up a good teaching career. Mm. Um, I think we have to be, we are definitely more of a wanderlust sort than I think most professions. Yeah. And there was a certain part for me of, you know, when I when I lived in Houston, I I felt like there wasn't a space for me to sort of do the more kind of unusual type of work I wanted to do. And then once I left Texas and came to New York and then started doing that sort of stuff and like the advent of social media, of course, makes things more visible. There are a lot of people who were there then (laughs) doing that, you know, like it made me realize like, oh, you know, part of, I think, for me, the move was just being uprooted and having this complete, <laughs> oh, my God, what now moment that really, like, got me moving. But, um, yeah, it, it, being being away made me realize what I was missing while I was there. Yes, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. New York's a great place to sort of not reinvent yourself, although you can do that. But, like, any parts of your personality or career that you haven't really explored I feel like when I moved to New York, I was like, okay, I'm going to try this, this, and this, and this, because why not? It's yeah. like a clean slate, sort of. Yeah, yeah. And you went to Juilliard, yeah? Yes. Is there is there something to throw out there about Juilliard and your experience? There's a lot to throw out. Um, I did my undergrad at Indiana University. Um, I was accepted to Juilliard for undergrad, and I turned them down because I loved academics, and I wasn't the idea of just focusing on music and nothing else really um, scared me because it was so limiting. Um, So I went to IU and I got a history degree and a harp degree. Um, And I loved my undergrad. I felt like anything I wanted to explore, they made possible. Like I got a second degree. I minored in French. I was in choir. I took cello lessons for a semester. I was really bad at the cello, but I still (laughs) took cello lessons for a semester. Um, so many of my close friends were non-musicians. It was like, it was such an incredible place to just explore things and grow. Um, By the time I finished writing my history thesis, which was on the war songs of the French Revolution, I was very much done with academics. Um, And so then I went to Juilliard for my master's. And I mean, my teacher there is phenomenal. I want to, I want to be like her when I grow up. Um, Mm. She's the harpist for the New York Phil, but she really teaches you how to be a good musician. She approaches everything from a holistic approach instead of just from a harp approach. 
Um, and I, I love her. Like I learned so much about the person and musician I am now from studying with her. Mm. Um, and then Juilliard was helpful in terms of, I got to like become an ear training TA. So I learned more about, again, that whole musician approach was very helpful. Um, and honestly, the people you meet there are phenomenal. They're good people, but, and they're incredible musicians. And that's been one of the most special things is I think everyone that you become friends with there for the most part ends up doing something in the arts. And then it becomes, you know, this network of, Oh, it's nice to see you again. We went to school together. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. The talent's just unparalleled. Uh, it's a very curi- stressful place, but. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Music yeah. school in general. <laughs> what's a stressful place for you. When you made, when you mentioned being a, uh, uh, ear, was it ear training or sight singing that you said you were a TA in? Uh, ear training, but ear sight training. singing is part of that. Yeah. I have like post-traumatic, post-traumatic stress from a couple of those exams. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't remember if these are your exact words, but you talked about feeling, um, I think I'm, I'm cautious to misquote you, but of course you can correct me. You, it sounded like you said you, you love the academics and you wanted to make sure you studied those both, but there, was there an element of being afraid of only, um, working on music, only studying music? Yes. I, I love music. Um, obviously it's what I do with my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it's very important to be curious and to explore things, not just music. Um, and so, yes, I've always loved academics. I've loved learning. I'm a little bit of a nerd. Um, but I find that doing other things besides music really complements who you are, um, as a performer. And so even now, now that I'm out of school, although at this point, I'm like, I would like to go back to school now. That sounds like fun. <laughs> um, but no, I, I still try to do things other than just music. It keeps you well-rounded. It keeps you curious. keeps you playful. I think being yeah. playful is very important. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the commissions, I'm, mm-hmm. they're all yet to be premiered. The first premiere is on Tuesday. How do you go about getting people to apply for the um for the commissions, deciding who to commission, all that type of stuff. Where, where does that f- work? Um, I started with Rena Esmail, who's a composer from Los Angeles. And um, my guitar duo partner, Colin Davin, had worked with her before. Um, and he said she was a great composer and a great human being. Um, and I think that's a really important element to this because, you know, if you have a, a terrible person as a composer no one's going to go to their hometown premiere because they're like good riddance to you (laughs) oh Um, god they're back (laughs) yeah exactly so having people who are like good um involved members of their communities was very important to me um and so i i cold emailed rena i was like dear rena you don't know who i am but i'm starting this project i know it sounds massive but would you be interested i'd love to talk to you um and she was so supportive we had like a long phone conversation immediately um, because she is also, she's very community focused. Um, I think that really drives a lot of her work, not to speak for her, but I see from what she does that it's Mm. very, it's like global approach, inclusive, bringing people in, exploring um, musical genres. It's, she's just great. She's like the artist is citizen approach that you want. Um, And so she was the first person I talked to and we started dreaming up some ideas And then the pandemic happened. Um, 
But I, uh, Michael Ippolito had come to Dallas because we were playing a piece of his um, and it had a really lovely harp part. And he was in town and I was like, where are you from? Because I really like your music. Um, and so I found out he was from Tampa and I approached him with this idea and he was, again, so enthusiastic. Um, and so he wrote this like 15 minute solo harp piece. And I think he finished it at the end of June in 2020. And so we've sort of, we've been waiting for this premiere for about a year and a half. Um, we were hoping to do it in 2021. That's as, as you know, right. 2021 was full of ups and downs. Um, but it's finally having its premiere on Tuesday in Tampa. Um, and then the other composers, if I like their music, I contact them. And I think the nice thing about composers for the most part is they're so enthusiastic and excited to be writing music and working on these types of things, at least from my experience. Um, so yeah, it's only been, it's only been good, good interactions so far. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it would be a huge compliment for, to have you reach out to one of these composers to do this. And what a great, like, and, and what I want to do is have you write a piece and premiere it in your hometown and draw attention to all of your other work and your influences. It's just a really cool, it's a really cool thing. Um, and, and I mentioned, or I read too, in, uh, on your website, that part of the goal here is to foster relationships between composers and musicians. Yes. Do you, do you see that, um, well, I guess, how do you see that now? And how do you see that potentially growing with this project? Um, it, I think it's especially important for harpists because our instrument is so mysterious and complicated. Um, and a lot of what works is not easily explained. Um, and I think the harp can be quite an intimidating instrument to write for. So especially for harpists, I think it's really important that we are you know, on the ground working with composers um, sort of having the approach of anything is possible except for when it's not. Um, so I like composers to just write whatever they want and then, you know, send me a draft and we'll go through it and I'll say like, oh, all of this is great. This particular thing isn't super idiomatic on the instrument. Can you try this instead? Um, and there are some basic ground rules about writing for the harp, but in general, I think if composers approach it with like anything as possible mentality, that results in a more authentic musical voice from them uh in my world of like post-traumatic stress from music school the harp section of my orchestration class was also like oh wow like this is really amazing but oh my god like yes yeah but i i think it's really you know like so many artists deal with uh imposter syndrome which I saw a great meme about, side note, <laughs> today, where so it says, uh, like, the way to deal with imposter system syndrome is to just look at, like, be like, all right, well, I'm already imposter, an imposter, so I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to, like, celebrate this, which is, like, a really empowering way to look at it. But, yes, you, it but you know, in terms of writing music for um, other musicians to play, I and especially for an instrument I'm not familiar with, there's always this little voice in my head that's like, oh, what are they going to think of this? Is this really stupid? This thing that I'm choosing to write for a harp or a viola or, you know, what am I missing? So right, it's really right. cool that you're opening up that dialogue about the piece and, and what it could become from your perspective. And I've had this conversation a lot. Um, my now husband is also a composer. So over the course, we first met at Juilliard when he was writing a piece for me. Um, but over the course of this many years relationship, we have had this conversation a lot because they're really 
there are no stupid questions when it comes to writing for the harp because it's such a weird instrument. Um, like for people who don't know, all of the accidentals, flats, naturals, and sharps, we control with our feet. So like at any given time, we can only play seven unique pitches at the same time. Um, and so figuring out how the pedals work, like what foot goes on what pedal, um, how fast you can move them, like you don't know that unless you play the harp. Mm. Um, we only use four fingers on each hand. Ricard Strauss didn't know that. Uh. Um, yeah, there are all of these these weird quirks to the instrument. And so kind of the best way to do it is just to dive into the deep end and see what happens. Uh. And if you have a good relationship with the harpist, then what you write is going to be fantastic. And if you look at some of the best harp pieces out there by non-harpist composers, they always had a harpist that they were working with. Like Britain's Sweet for Harp. Um, he was working with Ocean Ellis and that's why all of his harp writing is so good. Um, uh, the Gina Stara harp concerto, he was working with Edna Phillips the entire time. Um, it just goes, it goes on and on like this. Uh, I, now I want to check out that Gina Stara harp concerto. There was a piece of, of his that I played like long time ago that I really It's, loved. I have a recording from when the Dallas symphony did it with me in 2020 actually. Uh, but I can send it to you. It's so good. It's the closest you get to being a rock star on the harp. Oh, I can imagine. Oh, yeah. Ah, so good. So yeah. we need to start winding down this part of our conversation. But before we do, I want to make sure that people know where to track you down, where to track down um, the organization, Groundworks. Um, talk to me. Where should um, we go? So many places. For information about Groundworks, you can go to the website, which is groundworksmusic.com. Um, you can also go to my website, which is emilylevineharp.com. Um, Instagram, I'm lemony11. Lemony Levine, technically. <laughs> it looks like lemony11. <laughs> um, and yes, those are those are the best places to follow along with what I'm up to. Oh, perfect. And I'll put links in the show notes for those of you who are listening. And if you're a patron, you can hear more of our conversation. You don't know this yet, but I'm going to be asking you questions about um, how you became a harpist and what that path was like, which I'm quite interested in. So thank you so much for joining me and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you so much. And so we come to the end of another episode of Mikey Pod. Um, yes, thank you, Emily Levine, for being on the show. And thank you, persons who are listening. Um, I, I want to check in about something, uh, partly because I've been really struggling, really struggling to like find motivation, to find like things mattering, like finding a way to allow things to matter, if that makes sense. Um, and to take action on things like a great example is this podcast. It's really been a struggle to do this thing and to do my my work to go and show up in real life, you know, outside of where I absolutely have to. And partly it has to do with some of my own uh, mental health issues. I have ADHD and I'm in between uh, medications um, to deal with it because of other things. That's kind of like a long story, but you know, that's something that, that affects my ability to, to do things, to like prioritize and take action on things. So a lot of things started like falling by the wayside and then the shame builds up, builds up about my, uh, failing <laughs> ability to take care of myself. And it's just kind of like, so that's a pit that I sort of am now digging myself out of, but finally started talking about this to some people in my life. And it made me realize 
there's a whole piece of this pandemic um, and, and being under lockdown and a lot of what happened under our president 45 for people like me who are not um, heterosexual white men, you know, like, um, and let me allow that I am aware that I have a lot of privileges, even a white gay man. Um, but a lot of us, there's, there's been a lot going on and now there's a war in Ukraine and then it makes me realize like, oh yeah, there's a lot of other violence going on in the war world and war. And there's just a lot, there's a lot right now. And the, just the more that I talked about it and kind of like came out of my own little, uh, sheltered place and connected with some other people about it, it made me realize like, oh, all of us are doing this. So for whatever it's worth, I know there's not a huge audience of people that listen to this, which is partly why I'm speaking maybe a little more um, openly. If you need to like talk to somebody, you could talk to me. Send me an email. You know, like the world can start to feel really small and really dark really quick, especially in a time like this. And um, there's someone to talk to. There's If there's not someone in your life that you could talk to, you can just send, shoot me an email, make up a fake email and just send it anonymously. Uh, it just really helps to sort of engage with someone else. So uh, I, I welcome your thoughts about any of this. And um, uh, I, yeah, social media feels really gross to me lately too. So that's a place I used to connect and I don't really anymore. So let's figure it out together, shall we? Anyway, I, I hope some of that makes sense. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And um, sincerely, I hope you're doing well. And um, let me know if you are or aren't. I really love hearing from listeners of this podcast. Okay. Wow. That feels weird to like say all that. Um, all right. Take care and I'll see you next week or whenever the next podcast comes out. <laughs>